Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah show starts right now. This is the show where we do all the things on Linux they said that couldn't be done and take your calls on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 1-855-450-6624 or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalai. I am your host. Delighted to be here this hour as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off. So good evening, everybody. Like I said, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy you could make it. And right off the bat, I want to dive in and explain what's going on this week because the schedule is a little bit mm, kittywonka right now. So as it stands right now, I am on my way to Linux Fest Northwest. And uh, we want to make sure that we have ample time to prep all of the really cool things that we're doing. And we're going to be doing them all on Linux. And so that is reason to tune in to our live episode, which I have the timesheet right here. And we are going to be live at 4, or, uh, 4 p.m. Central. So that's 2 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. So join us at uh, 2 p.m. Pacific time. That's 4 p.m. Central at jblive.tv. And uh, we'll be streaming. Um, if you're in the Pacific Northwest, we invite you to attend Linux Fest Northwest live. We're going to be doing the show right there from the Linux Northwest floor. It's uh, I'm going to be there. Chris is going to be there. Alan Jude is going to be there. Uh, Wes is going to be there. There's a boxing uh, match that's going to occur between Alan and I. We're going to battle it out once and for all and find out which is better. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. But uh, I might try BSD while I'm out there. That's a lie, too. Uh, but no, it's fun for the whole family. You really should come out and, and hang out, meet everyone. And now, earlier today, I had a fantastic opportunity. I got an invitation from the University of North Dakota to come be a guest speaker for Dr. Tim Pash's COM 405, Social Implications of Digital Communication. Now... This is an interesting class because what COM 405 is, is basically the class that teaches students how to podcast, how to manage social media. They have taken what is a very organic grassroots thing and they've codified it. So why that, that I have, I have mixed feelings on it, but I am Proud to say that the, uh, the the professor that is teaching the class is uh, a, a very well-respected, very nice guy who really understands the technology, who really has a passion for it. And so there's nobody better to be teaching in the class. But I guess where my concern comes in is, and I've talked about this with Chris, is the, the concept of codifying things that are so grassroots and are good because they are grassroots, because they don't have standards. But each student in Camo 405 uh, as I learned today, is required to host a podcast while they are enrolled in the class. And so being that I am both a podcaster and have a presence here in the uh, Grand Forks media space, they invited me to speak on what it takes to get a podcast up and off the ground and what problems they might run into. And I think that at the Ask Noah Show, I think we put a really fantastic presentation together. And uh, of course, I had the help and support of Jupiter Broadcasting. And so 
Chris lent some expertise and uh, we got that, snuck that into the presentation, things that he's taught me and things that he's shown me and things that uh, resources that he has given me. I think the presentation worked out really well. Now, we do the show live 6 p.m. Central as we're doing right now. And so if you want to call 855-450, no, that's 855-450-6624. Of course, you can send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. We'll take your calls or your emails live here on the air. We'll also bring in the mumble room in a little bit and chat with them if they want. But um, the issue is I don't have absolutely any time after I turn the microphone off. The episode would not get released. It would not get into the podcast feeder. It would not get uploaded to YouTube. I don't even have time to finish up the show notes because the way I write show notes and the way that they are published. Oh, hello. Hi, phone. That was nice of you not to not to respect my do not disturb settings. The way that I write the notes for the actual show that I present and the way that they are published are two drastically different things. And uh, so those aren't done. And so uh, earlier this morning, I was trying to figure out how I'm going to accomplish all these things because we can't just, we won't punt the show because we want to take your calls. We want to be here uh, to answer questions and to chat with you. We want to provide a reliable, consistent podcast, but we needed an episode that would go out tonight. And like I just mentioned, I'm literally in route. So I'm going to be at 30,000 feet in the air when this program is supposed to be being edited. And I have no time to do any of that, much less fill out the show notes to have somebody else edit it. So at the same time, uh, we don't do banked episodes here at the Asnoa show. You get a show, a new show, live on the air with the phone lines open at one 450 noah every single week. So here's the solution that we came up with. So stick with me on this. Tonight, we're going to do this show live. We're going to take your phone calls, all the usual, sh- usual stuff that you would come to expect from the Ask Noah show. Once I get off the air, I am going to get straight onto an airplane, and then we are going to press a button, and we're going to publish an episode, but it's going to... Okay, actually, I take that back. I guess we have published the episode, so it's out already. That's <clears throat> good information to know before I went on the air. Uh, it's it's not going to be the episode that you're listening to right now. It's going to be a special edition from earlier today, the presentation that we did at the university. And then once I land and maybe get something to eat and sleep and breathe, then I will go back and I'll put the finishing touches on the episode we're doing right now. And so you'll actually get two Ask Noah shows this week, one today. If you're listening to it live, then I guess you get both today, and then you'll get one later on, sometime in the week. Now, I have to warn you about something. The episode that came out earlier today, and like I said, I I think we did a really good job at the presentation, but we did the best we could to make content that is suitable for podcasting and radio. But the truth of the matter is that we had to focus our attention on and prioritize the students that were in the class. And so the audio production took a backseat. Now, it's not bad, but I wouldn't call it great either. Now, there is an upside. It turns out it's actually easier to record on a video camera than it would have been to try to find some video filler, record a separate audio stream, and then try to mash the two up in post. So if you're the kind of person that really misses a video show, this is your lucky week because Ask Noah Show episode 60, or I'm sorry, Ask Noah Show episode 59, the special edition of the Ask Noah Show that we shot earlier today at UND is a full video production. So if you go to YouTube, download the, and, and watch it on there, or you can download the video, although I think the video file is going to be huge because it's actual camera video stuff. But hopefully that makes sense on what we planned and why we did it. And uh, like I said, I'm hoping that we didn't confuse anyone too bad. And at the end of the day, you're we're going above and beyond to deliver more of the product that you asked for. So 
one 450 no that's 855-450-6624 the email live at asknoahshow.com our call screener isn't with us quite yet uh she's uh running a bit late so we're just going to take some calls here uh, without screening them hey caller you're on the air welcome to the ask noah show hello that's you hi, hi. oh cool okay um so i had a question i was hoping you could help me out with um i'm actually just starting to record a podcast of my own um it's about tabletop rpgs but um how i've been recording it so far because i have to take in an audio source from my own microphone as well as i record uh, the other hosts through discord uh, and I couldn't find a way to do that through Audacity, so I've actually just been using uh, OBS and recording like an FLV and then converting that to MP3 because that allows me to take an uh, audio from both the desktop and my and my microphone. But I was wondering if there's a better way to do this, uh, preferably like in Audacity, taking multiple audio streams, one from desktop audio, one from, from uh, my microphone, and I can have them on different channels so I can sort of, uh, you know, adjust everyone's levels accordingly sure there, you know about anything like that yeah there is there's there's a tool called uh pa uh, uh pulse audio volume control so pav uh, I, I'll, I'll look up the exact name for you i think it's pav pauv pulse audio volume control pavu control something like that yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. here we go pavu control and basically it is an application that will allow you to identify a software uh audio source as an and 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 basically feed that into an audio recorder so you can that will show up as as you can make that show up as an actual audio input so that's one way you can do it however I will tell you something. The way that we are doing this show here is we are recording inside of OBS. We're doing it for different reasons. The reason I'm doing it is because we are capturing a our live chat room. We're sending that out. But, um, but there's nothing wrong with recording in OBS. In fact, if you go into the settings in OBS and you go under the audio or the um, by default, it says simple. If you change the recording profile to custom. You can actually cho- you can actually tell OBS to record MP3 or Wave or whatever, uh, and you can do all of that in in OBS. So unless you have some specific reason that you that you want to acquire in Audacity, there's actually nothing wrong with it, with capturing the audio right in OBS. And if you want to get fancy about it, what you could do is you could capture an OBS. Maybe you said you were doing this, and then you could strip the audio out into Audacity. You could process it, and then in a video editor, you could put it back in. Yeah. So. Well, I am I am doing that except for I'm not uh, I'm not recording a video as well. Uh, I didn't know there was a way to record directly to to MP3. Um, yeah, I mean I think I think that's helpful. Uh, the other thing would be sort of um, I, I, I'm trying to I'm, I'm having difficulty sometimes with like the other hosts' uh, audio levels coming through Discord, and sure. the only way I've been able to adjust them is by like adjusting their the actual volumes of their uh, their user, whatever their volumes in Discord. Um, so I, I I didn't know if like if doing it that way would give me like different channels that I could edit in Audacity. Yes, it would. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or would it so be like one MP3. Yeah, so you're you're right. If you if you bring it well, 
yes, if you bring it in as a separate source, it will, you can tell Audacity to record that source on a second track. So your microphone would record on track one, for example, their source would record on track two. You know, honestly, I, here's what I would tell you. Having talked to you for a couple of minutes, you seem like uh, you're, you're pretty technically savvy. You have a pretty good idea of what you're doing. What I might suggest is you take a look at a piece of software called Reaper, R-E-A-P-E-R. We'll have a link for you in the show notes. And what Reaper is, is a very... It's it's still, I think it's either free or it's very inexpensive. It's like $40, $50. Um, but what Reaper allows you to do is they have what they call the audio matrix. And what the audio matrix does is it literally gives you, if you think kind of like a grid, your inputs are on the column side and your outputs are on the row side, if that makes any sense. And so you can literally say, I want this input to be assigned to these outputs or these recording channels, this, that, and the other. And then when you go into the tracks, when you record a track, you can say, I want to take just this input. I want to take a sum of, like you can create these little virtual mixes and you can say, I want a sum of, you know, this group of mixes or whatever. So maybe you have four different hosts and they're all connecting on Discord. You can bring them all into their own track, but you can process them all. You can treat them all the same. If, if one gets raised, they all get raised. If one has compression, they all get compression, that kind of thing, which might streamline your process. But if, if you run out of flexibility in Audacity, that would be my next suggestion is to take out the is to is to swap out audacity for reaper and and take a look at that you'll find that there's a couple more features in it the reason we always go to audacity is because it's 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 a very good reliable robust program that is free and so it's really easy to get started but it sounds like you might you might be on the cusp of of getting ahead of of what audacity can do but you could give it a shot with with pavu control okay yeah um yeah thanks for all the suggestions i'll definitely definitely look into all those yeah, we appreciate the call. Thanks for listening. <clears throat> Again, phone lines one eight five five four five zero. That's one eight five five four five zero. Sorry, one eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow dot com. Uh, let's see, what do we have on the docket this week? So last week we asked the question: Is Apple done with the MacBook as we know it? Have they given up on the X? 64 infrastructure, and are they now concentrating on iOS and ARM? We read to you an article last week that talked about how in 2020, Apple will be discontinuing the in, their Intel processors inside of their MacBooks in favor for ARM processors um, and to try to pare down their code base and, uh, and concentrate on iOS and iOS apps. Well, this week we have some news from Microsoft. This comes to us from businessinsider.com. Headline, Microsoft Azure Sphere is powered by Linux. Microsoft on Monday announced that Azure Sphere, a new technology designed to protect processors that power smart appliances, connected toys, and other gadgets. Azure Sphere is powered in large part by Linux, a free operating system that Microsoft once viewed as a major threat. You know, I, I just want to stop and just point out that it really frustrates me when these articles come out and they use they, 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 they make everything sound better than it is, right? That once Microsoft once thought was a major threat. You mean they called it a cancer. They called it the cancer of software. It's the first time that Microsoft has ever made Linux a part of the product offering. Microsoft announced on Monday a new technology called Azure Sphere, a new system for securing tidy... Did I lose my place? We'll get to the specifics in a moment, but here's the notable part. To power Azure Sphere, Microsoft has developed a custom version of Linux, a free operating system that Microsoft once considered a... A big, the biggest threat to the supremacy of its Windows software. After 43 years, this is the first day that we are announcing and will be distributing a custom Linux kernel. 
Microsoft's President Brad Smith said on stage at an event in San Francisco. Smith said that Microsoft's reckoning, the the fact that the most new gadgetary comes with a processor, and this is a cause for concern. I agree with that. I do think it's problematic that we have all of these devices that are coming out. I think what's even what's almost more concerning about the fact that we have all these devices that are coming out with processors is the fact that we have IPv6 on the cusp, and eventually every single device that you buy in Walmart, Target, wherever, is, is, is going to come live on the internet. That is scary to me as well. The article continues, third, the chip OS combo will be integrated with Azure Sphere cloud security service designed to keep up devices with the latest security patches for at least 10 years. Well, that'll make some people happy. Smith says the Azure Sphere powered hardware will hit the market later this year with more details to come. But hey, Microsoft is making its own Linux and that's weird. And yet it's been a long time coming. When Satya Nadella took Microsoft CEO job in 2014, one of the first things he did was announce that Microsoft loves Linux. Since then, Microsoft has added robust support for Linux and its Azure cloud platform while letting developers integrate Linux with their copies of Windows 10. In 2015, Microsoft developed a much smaller Linux-based technology as part of an open source package. This, though, is the first time Microsoft has developed a version of Linux and then made it the cornerstone of its product offering. It's proof that anything is possible. So Microsoft is now making Linux. Now, I've beat this drum before. And I, I, I've hit some resistance when I talk about it, but I keep coming back to it because I know I'm right about this. Windows is not a secure operating system. And this further speaks to the fact that when people want a secure, reliable, robust operating system, they trust and they turn to Linux. And it would seem that these days that's even true for Microsoft, the creators of Windows. Now, I get it. I, this is not uh, Microsoft WinX or, or Lindos or whatever you want to call it. They're not, th this is not Microsoft's attempt at a, you know, Ubuntu competitor that's going to run on the desktop. Microsoft isn't going to be shipping any Surface books with Linux anytime soon. But in some, I mean, in some respects, this is the ultimate TiVo Linux again, right? But isn't it funny? Isn't it funny that Microsoft every few months keeps revisiting Linux to power more and more of its infrastructure. Isn't it interesting that Microsoft continues to turn to Linux to validate and stabilize their own market, their own software platforms? I have been watching with some interest that Microsoft doesn't revamp the NT kernel. You know, there's a lot of things that are wrong with Windows, but if you used Windows prior to Windows 2000, Windows NT, if you use the like Windows 95, 98, like the, I mean, the concept of a blue screen of death. I mean, that was the era of blue screens of death. It, it, not that it was solved by any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly got a lot better once we went to the NT kernel. So I'm watching this with, uh, I'm watching this with 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 interest. And notice something else. It's yet one more piece of not local software that Microsoft is making. It's one more thing that Microsoft is using as a service to add to its revenue stream. So over, you know, if you envision this, over here on the left, Apple is moving its concentration over to mobile. They're really concentrating on trying to get their code base solidified around iOS, around mobile. They're making a bunch of money doing it. They're doing a good job at mobile. So that's where they're concentrating. And over here on the right, we have Microsoft that is moving its concentration over to the subscription service-based cloud infrastructure model, which is kind of funny if you think about it. You know, Canonical has been developing 
cloud-based OSs, and they're working with Dell to make all of these IoT instant response things. And now, my, I mean, it seems like, in some regards, Microsoft's a little late to the game. But I see a void forming here in the desktop computing infrastructure. And I think Linux has an opportunity to fill it. But again, we have to be on the ball. We cannot get this wrong. When 1804 ships, people have to have a good experience. And so I want to do my part. I want to pitch in. I want to help wherever I can. I want to educate wherever I can. But, you know, we got a lot riding on Linux uh, here at the network. You know, we're going we're gonna to be going out. We're going to be doing some things uh, all on Linux. And there are some chances being taken. And how that plays out, I assure you, I guarantee it, 100% guarantee how things play out in the next three weeks will have a significant impact to how we utilize and trust Linux going down the road. So there's a lot riding on, 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 these, on these next couple iterations of software, and I hope we're ready for it. I, I think we are. I think we are. But I just want to make sure that we're all in the same boat and we all acknowledge the fact that this has not gone well the, uh, you know, in the past, and we have to get it right this time. Let's go back to the phones. one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Eric joins us from Indiana. Hey, Eric. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah. Thanks for taking my call. How are you doing tonight? Yes, sir. Excellent. How can we help? Yeah, so um, I'm a returning caller, and I do a podcast as a hobby, and I was actually approached by a potential sponsor for the first time, and first I was kind of blown away by that, but second, uh, I immediately thought of how, in my opinion, how well you and the rest of Jupiter Broadcasting um, work with sponsors that obviously you feel very uh, you know, strong, you know, passionate for, of use like DigitalOcean, et cetera. So I'm just kind of curious what Jupiter Broadcasting kind of does when you evaluate sponsors and if you had any advice for, you know, ideas for how I would interact with a sponsor and, you know, kind of on the business side of things. Sure, sure. Well, first, uh, Eric, I need to give you a disclaimer. I don't in any way, in any shape or form, have anything to do with the sponsors that JB chooses with the negotiation of the contracts. I am not privy to the amounts I have absolutely nothing to do and cannot speak with any authority whatsoever in any way, shape or form implied or otherwise to Jupiter broadcasting finance, their sponsors, the shows they sponsor, who they sponsor, the the ways they, I can't speak to any of that at all. So everything I'm about to tell you is just a reflection of my own opinion. Now I am an expert in my own opinion, but that's all it is. Uh, with that said, the first thing I would advise you to do anytime you're looking at a spot. In fact, this goes for anyone taking money from, from anyone for any reason. The first thing you need to be able to do is live with yourself. And so I would never go on the air for any amount of money and say something that I don't believe. If tomorrow, Satya Nadella, if tomorrow Microsoft calls me and says, hey, we want you to, um, we want to sponsor the Ask Noah show because Microsoft loves Linux. Um, the only thing is we, uh, we're Microsoft and we have Windows, so we want you to talk about how great uh, Windows 10 is. You don't have to use it personally. We just You just have to put like one computer in your studio and, uh, and maybe have it in some of the promo shots and stuff like that. And uh, when people call in and say, is Windows an okay choice? You have to, you just have to say, yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, you know, it, it has its purpose or something like that. You don't have to take a hard line, but just, you know, warm up to it a little bit. I would turn that to, it, there's no amount of money 
that you could pay me to do that. So the, the first thing I would tell you is that you need to be able to, to live with yourself. And so I know that in the entire time that I did the, the Linux action show, because I did many of the ad reads and I did ad reads on Linux unplugged. I've never done an ad read for a product that I wouldn't personally pay for that. I wouldn't personally use and that I don't personally believe in. Now there are products and services that I am not a frequent purchaser of because uh, so, for example, um, Linux Academy, I think they offer a really great service. It, when I do my Red Hat certification, I do it through Linux Academy. But at the same time, I don't have I, I don't have the interest or the time to constantly be taking uh, courses. And so it's not a service I I use heavily. Now, Ting, on the other hand, or DigitalOcean, for example, I had to request an increase on my droplets because I have so many DigitalOcean VPSs. And uh, with Ting, it's it, it literally... Uh, you know, it actually solved a, a bit of uh, like a, this internal fight, you know, between my uh, in my family because my my mother needed a, a phone and um, I we just pay for it because it's it's that cheap. So there are there are services that apply more to my life and, and ones that don't apply as much. But I would never take a sponsor and I would never even I would never even read for a sponsor that I don't personally believe in. Uh, so that that's that's hard rule for me. Number one, are you looking for. Is that the kind of advice you're looking for? Are you looking for like numbers, cost-wise? What what do I charge them? That kind of stuff. Well, um, it's probably more the latter, only because first it's for the first time I've been approached by a sponsor, and I just I don't know where to start with kind of I don't want to say negotiation, but just kind of some dialogue with them about what kind of compensation they might offer and sure. kind of what approaches I might take for that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, no, I, it is a negotiation. Um, and so to a certain degree, it's it, it's largely going to be based off of what your product is worth, right? So if you look at your podcast, does your podcast have a thousand people that are downloading it, 10,000 people, a hundred thousand people, a million people, depending on what your listenership is, that's what I would, uh, th- that that's how I, how, would, how I would price the thing. I can tell you here at the um, at the radio station because that that is something I am a part of. They uh, they they charge uh, fifteen dollars for a thirty second ad. So you have uh, it, the shows that have ads have uh, two minutes. I'm sorry, they have uh, fifteen minutes of show. I think it's four minutes of ads, fifteen minutes of show. Two minutes of ads and it adds up, but it's it's fourteen minutes of ads altogether in every hour, and they sell each each thirty second ad spot for fifteen bucks. Um, so that's one way you could do it, and you could say, you know, this is what this is what, and that's that's a that's a relatively low price for a single advertiser to get in, and then you would do that thirty second ad spot, and then you would read it. Uh, you know, in in your case, if you're doing a one hour podcast, you'd read it twice during that that podcast, um, or you would give them one minute and just drag it out a little bit, right? Yeah, that's kind of the approach I was hoping for. It would be just one, like, a minute segment per episode. And I would, honestly, I would pattern it much after how uh, you and Chris have done it in the past. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about that for a second, just because you bring it up. There are two ways to do ads. The first way is, um, a, like, a hard stop. So, if, for example, if the Ask Noah show, if we ever picked up an advertiser, this is the way that we would do it, because we need, I, I would need a point where, JB can run the ads that the sponsors that that is paying them and I need a place to break for the advertisers that are paying the radio station. And so we would play probably 30 seconds of music or 15 seconds of music, something like that. And then it would fade out. And then at that point, each network would insert their retrospective ads 
and then after the ads are done playing, then there would be a, you know, a bumper music and then we'd come back and do the show. Now, the advantage to doing that is you're, you'll never be accused of the, you know, your show becoming one big long ad because so for example, and, and I've dealt with this, people say, oh, you're a, you're a show for DigitalOcean. That's all you ever talk about. No, I talk about DigitalOcean because they do a really good job. It has nothing to do with, uh, we talk about DigitalOcean on this show and they don't give me a dime. I, and that's not why I talk about them. I talk about them because I think they're a valuable service and people need to know about it and they're a useful tool. The fact that they're an advertiser on other shows is irrelevant to me. Um, but ne nevertheless, the accusation is there. And when you have uh, like a very solid break, this is the ad time, this is not the ad time, then you, you can kind of separate that out. Um, otherwise, if you, if you happen to have a, a, a segment or a show or part of a show that, that is heavy, heavily talks about something that your advertiser provides, then it, uh, people don't really know where the ad stopped and the show began. And, I don't, and, and so, so that's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is if you're me personally, the way I like to consume ads... I have never minded the way that Chris runs ads in his shows. And the reason for that is because when he reads an ad, it's not just, he's not just selling something. He turns the ad into a story. And I like the stories. I like hearing about his experiences. I like hearing about how he applied that particular thing, because to me, that's more valuable. It's sitting here and saying, for $29 a month, you can get digital ocean and you could have 10 droplets at just $5. You can that to me that that's useless, right? I, I can find that out from the website. I don't need somebody to tell me that, but to have somebody to sit down and say, you know, I was having a really bad day and I needed the server to do this particular thing. And I paid five bucks and got that up and running. Well, for me, that's really valuable because the next time I run into that problem, I can go, oh yeah, that guy talked about that's how he solved that problem. So that's, that's what works on me. If you want to sell something to me, that's the way you do it. You, you apply it to my life. Like I said, though, it's it it just it completely depends on on which way you go with it. And the other thing you need to consider is when you are going about designing one of the one way or the other, just understand that you've got about ten seconds, fifteen seconds for somebody to reach down to their phone and skip over your ads. So when you're planning out your ads, you probably want to I don't know, but you you just keep that in mind that people are people are gonna people may skip over them. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's that's very helpful. I think um, I think the big takeaway is I'll kind of start small with this and see how it goes. Maybe do a, a month or two month kind of trial with them. Um, but I think your approach sounds really uh, reasonable to me. So yeah, that's been very helpful. Awesome. Well, thanks for the call. We really appreciate it. Really appreciate the podcast questions tonight. That's um, first. I was thinking maybe it was just uh, you know students that had had a, a tangential interest uh, left over from earlier today, but a caller was from Indiana, so. Maybe not. You too can join the discussion about podcasting and all things broadcasting and at one eight five five four five zero Noah. That's eight. Or that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. You can send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. I'll come right back to the phones, but I do want to say hello to our mumble room, who's waited so patiently. Hey guys, how are you? What's up? Hello. What's going on? Uh, what did you expect after a great, uh, great? Uh, I'm letting some plug today. We wanted to hang out and listen to your show, so. Hey, well, I really appreciate it. You guys have any questions? Go ahead and ping me in the chat room, okay? All right. All right. Perfect. Again, one eight five five four five zero. No, that's eight five five four five zero six six two four, or send an email to live at asknoahshow. dot com. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Blue Zero is calling from Texas. Hey, Blue Zero, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. <laughs> hey, Noah. Hey, how can we help? 
I'm can you can you speak directly into your phone? I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you. Yeah, one sec, one sec. This phone is being real bad. Today. Okay, I'll put you back on hold. I'll give you a chance to sort that out. We'll come right back to you, okay? Again, one eight five five four five zero noah That's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Now, many of you have been using the YubiKey after hearing our recommendation here on the Ask Noah Show. And I've been a strong proponent of the YubiKey and the FIDO U2F standard for years now. I think it's absolutely the best way to authenticate SSH, to authenticate websites. I swear by the YubiKey so much that I have one permanently installed in my ThinkPad at all times, and I wear another one around my neck. And I have a third one in a undisclosed location. Now, in case you're new to the program and you're not familiar with what a YubiKey is, a YubiKey is a hardware-based authentication device so instead of typing your password when you visit a website or want to authenticate into a server, something like that, you simply plug this device into your computer and you touch it or you touch it to the back of your phone, depending on what device you're authenticating on. And then you provide the what they call presence support. So on the laptop, you touch the side of it. On the Again, on the phone, you just tap it to the back. It just proves that you're actually sitting in front of it. And you're not trying to remotely control the device. It then prompts you for a four to six digit pin, which you use to verify that you are actually authorized to use the keys on that device. And then that authenticates you into websites. And it's an order of magnitude more convenient than either trying to remember a bunch of passwords or even if you're using a password manager like LastPass or KeePassX or something like that. All of those password solutions either require a cloud solution, a syncing solution, or they require a hardware device that's going to carry all of the data on there. But any which way you look at it, those n none of the three of those are really great options. Now, the YubiKey is a true two-factor authentication, and we've talked about that ad nauseum, so I'm not going to dig back into that again. But true-factor authentication is something you have and something you know. So in the YubiKey's case, the something you have, the YubiKey, something you know, the PIN. Well, if you've been listening to us and you purchased a YubiKey, then amazing things are happening in the crypto security world. And if you have one of those keys, you are already set up to take advantage of it. This comes to us from ARS Technica headline, Practical Passwordless Authentication is One Step Closer to Reality. The World Wide Web Consortium, W3C, and FIDO Alliance announced today that a new spec, WebAuthn, short for Web Authentication, has been promoted to the candidate recommendation stage. WebAuthn is, is a specification that allows the web browser to expose the hardware-based authentication devices, USB, Bluetooth, or NFC, to sites on the web. These hardware devices enable the users to prove their identity to the sites without requiring usernames and passwords. The spec has been developed as a joint effort between FIDO, an industry body that's developing secure authentication systems, and W3C, the industry group that oversees the development of web standards. With web admin enabled, browsers and sites can... Users can sign in to integrated biometric hardware, such as fingerprint, facial recognition systems that are widely deployed, ex external authentication systems, such as the popular YubiKey USB hardware. With WebAuthn, there are no user credentials that ever leave the browser, no passwords are ever used, providing for strong protection against phishing, man-in-the-middle attacks, and replay attacks. Microsoft, Google, and Mozilla have all committed to supporting WebAuthn. Chrome 67 and Firefox 60 are both due for stable releases in May and will have WebAuthn enabled by default. WebAuthn builds on a previous FIDO 
uh, specification called the Universal Authentication Factor, UAF. UAF didn't see much uptake in major browsers, and its specification wasn't clear on how it should work with mobile browsers. WebAuthn has a strong backing from the major browser vendors and is also designed to be more versatile. It's able to handle a wider range of authentication factors, covering not just biometrics and hardware authenticators, but also pins and even more basic tests that merely verify that a user is present without any identification of who that user is. With web admin in place, widespread adoption of passwordless authentication will be much more practical. We're certainly not going to see the end of passwords overnight, but this is the kind of infrastructure that leads that needs to be in place before it can credibly be replaced. This cannot come fast enough. Passwords are such an unbelievable pain in my rear that we absolutely need this and we absolutely need this now. And when I saw that not only is this coming, but it is coming in May, it's practically almost here. This is a fantastic evolution. We are at the cusp of a totally new way of authenticating into these devices. Now, I have played enough with the consumer fingerprint readers and the consumer facial recognition stuff to know that I would never, ever, ever, ever want to trust them to secure anything I actually cared about, not even something I cared about as little as my Gmail account, which I, I don't put a lot of, there's nothing important that I care about that's on the cloud. You guys know that. But e even things like my Gmail account, I would never want secured with, you know, a facial recognition or a, or a fingerprint reader because they can be beaten too easily. But the YubiKey, a device that never gives up the private key, a device that Time and time again, people have tried to hack and break and have had very little, if any, success at all. A device that verifies that I, me, am personally there. And there is, uh, after three incorrect tries of the pin, or whatever he said it to, really, but three incorrect tri tries of the pin, it, it, uh, it, uh, it destroys the private key, and then you're locked out forever. So nobody can, nobody can actually, uh, you know, penetrate the thing. Now, that's a standard we're talking about. I want to go back to our mumble room. Uh, is it Raf Minoff? Is that am I pronouncing that right? Raf. Raf. Raf Minoff is the full name. I'm Raf. Hey, Raf. Welcome to the Astro uh, Show. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, well, so I've got a question about a combo headphone jack and like audio outputs on my laptop because the so this laptop I don't know if you know it it's like like a System76 Orcs Pro. It's the same thing, just a different vendor. Like you know, okay. it has three audio outputs, right? I'm I'm not I'm uh, not intimately familiar with the the hardware details, but just they're just there. You you mm -hmm. have three different uh, like three point five inch jacks. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, if I plug it into the combo audio, so I can use like headphones with microphones built in, I can't use the microphone ever. Doesn't gotcha. Work. Like combo jacket. Like uh, I think on other operating systems, you get like a prompt to see like what what did you plug in a headphone or. A, the combo thing right no not on not on linux so that has no so i i i would suggest i would suggest that have you tried using it under under windows and does it work there uh i have windows i haven't tried using it try, I, tr I try it because really need it because i because i have a line out and it kind of works for me sure but the, the, I, I would like to get it working. But no, for sure, I understand that. The, the reason I ask is because the I have uh, I have uh, well, I've done it under both. I've done it under KDE Neon and I've done it under Ubuntu proper. But when I plug a a headset jack, it asks me, "Is this a headset or just headphones?" 
And if I choose just headphones, it will use the integrated mic that's built into the chassis of the display. And if I click headset, then obviously it will take the microphone input from the the actual headset. But uh, at least for sure, Ubuntu proper does that. And I I believe I've used it under KDE Neon. I'm using using Ubuntu. You have okay. So I'm just looking at my laptop right now. I have the combo jack on here, and I know that mm. I have. Uh, I know that I have. I've plugged in my headset because that's what I have when I travel. I've got a, a pair of Atomotic Research uh, earphones, and they have a built-in headset, and it always asks me. Um, so you know, mm. and Chatroom points this out. It ve- may very well uh, be a, a different wiring inside of the actual headset. So, for example, they're saying. Um, you know, Apple wires their headsets different than Nokia. So depending on who made your headset, that might, you know, that might affect it. Although here's what I would say in response to that. In response to that, I would say that, I mean, granted, I don't have any wired Apple headsets, but uh, every headset that I have used has worked on my computer. So if there was a second wiring, there was a second wiring scheme, I haven't run into that. Hmm. Do you know who it's made by though? Uh, it's, uh, it's made by Kingston. Okay. It's a HyperX thing. Sure, uh, sure. I think it's just a standard thing, but, like, uh, as far as I understood, the wiring only works for, like, the little button to, like, skip track stuff that's different between Android and iOS. That's what I understood. Mm. Have you tried looking through the audio settings to see if it recognizes the actual uh, device or anything like that? No, uh, I think it recognizes, like, a microphone input, but no sound ever comes through it. Like, does there is there like a menu to change your manually from um, the in from the laptop mic to the headset mic? There is. I have, haven't gone into work ever. Have you tried installing Pava Control by any chance? Yes. Hmm. Okay. And, and honestly, here's the thing. Pavu control is just going to, I mean, as far as Pavu control can only see the physical inputs, right? So if, if Pavu control, I don't think anyway, is going to be able to decide where to take the microphone input. It's just, it just knows it gets the audio input from the input of the sound card. The sound card I've is also tried Alsa mixer and nothing. Yep. There yeah. But, but so the, 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 that process of, that process of choosing of do I do I use the integrated microphone that's built into the chassis or do I use the headset mic? That is a process that is occurring on the sound card itself, right? There's not, as far as I know. Let me look. Let me look. But I I don't think, yeah. At least so at least on my system, and I have the combo headphone jack. It doesn't show me two different inputs. All I get is is analog input from the sound card, and I think the sound card then can can choose where what signal path it wants to take. It wants to take the signal path from the integrated microphone or the combo jack. Now I could be wrong on that, but I, I'm I'm fairly certain that is the, that's the way that it takes that uh, that input. If that sounds also, what version of Ubuntu are you on? I'm on Kubuntu 17.10. Mm, 17.10. Have you tried updating your drivers lately? Uh, as far as I know, I've done every update there is, and I also have the backport repository because I can't stand old versions of KDE. Yeah. Okay. So if, and if you have a, you know, in Linux, again, the drivers are going to be kernel level drivers. So if you, uh, if, if you're just, if you're running system updates, you're going to be getting the, you know, the, the, the latest hardware compatibility, right? Yeah. As far as I know, I'm running 4.13, which is like pretty recent. Yeah. Yep. In fact, that is. I has a specific device controller inside of the system settings. Can you choose, Michael? You would. You would probably. You would probably know this. Does. 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 Um. 
the difference between the integrated microphone and the headset controller is that software is that is that being done at the in the operating system or is that being done on the sound card it can be done by both but typically it's done by the motherboard yeah okay that's what i thought so yeah i it's I, just the standard intel sound card thing sure yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's built into the, the motherboard. So, yeah, what I would try, step, step one is I would try a different headset. Step two is I might, dare I say it, try what you said you're on Kubuntu. Have you, you might try just Ubuntu proper because I'm 110% sure uh-huh. that, that 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 pop-up exists where it says headset and headphones. I, I know it exists because I, I've used it there. I would, I want to say I've used it in KDE Neon, but quite frankly, I don't remember if I've ever had a use for a wired headset since I've, uh, since I've reinstalled a couple of months ago. The issue with the plasma is that you know there's configurations and, and a plethora of configurations in plasma. Right. One of them is the ability to switch <laughs> back and forth between headphones and a not and a stereo system. So if you have speakers or headphones, you can specify. Same thing happens with the mics and all the devices. Like there, you can go in and specify which device to which application and things like that. So it kind of can be a little confusing one, until you get used to the the process of it. That's good stuff. Yeah. Does that help you? Once I once yeah, kinda. I'll 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 see what I can see. Okay. Yeah. Take a look. Let me know. Get back to me. Uh, I'd love to know if that's actually working or not. So make sure to to uh, to ping me and let me know. Maybe next week or the week after, and uh, or join us on our Saturday edition, two p.m. Central. Asknoshow.com. JBLive.tv. Uh, let's go back to the phones. One eight five five four five zero. No, that's eight five five four five zero six six two four. The email live at asknowshow.com. Actually, I do want to address in the chat room. Guys are talking about the um, the YubiKey. The when I say that there are three tries and then it destroys the key, that is this that is the default setting. You can tell it I want to be able to try it sixteen times or twenty four times. Just understand that if as technology progresses, if somebody ever watches you type in that pin. You know, they have a certain amount of tries to get it right. That's the whole idea is that they can't guess what the pin is. So obviously, the further out you push the ability uh, for it to destroy that private key if they get the pin wrong, obviously, the less secure the device is. We'll go back to Blue Zero in Texas. Hey, Blue, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey. That's much better. Okay. All right. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How can we help? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm about to have to buy me a brand new workstation and I have gained a lot more clients and I have to use the funeral homes proprietary software Mm -hmm. so I know I'm going to have to be using Windows. Okay well good for you for gaining some clients gaining some traction on your business I think that's fantastic. Yeah yes um and I'm looking at two uh, manufacturers. There's one's called Digital Storm. The other one is Dell. And what I'm looking for is is a good rendering machine for videos. There's on Digital Storm. The builds can either be Intel or AMD. But Dell has a way better track record, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I'm an AMD guy. Well, so. Dell. Uh, hold on a second now. Dell has a Ryzen system. Um, hmm. Let me see if I can find this uh, while I'm on the air. This is what you call live radio, folks. Uh, yeah, I just I actually saw this is, is in Best Buy. In fact, yeah, it's the here we go. Um, I almost bought one of these for uh, JB for doing our live. 
our uh, our live stuff. We ended up going with the uh, with an XPS i7, but this was this was on the short list for sure. It's the Dell Inspiron uh, 5675, and I will have a link for you in the show notes. Now, when I say I'm going to have a link for you in the show notes, um, I am talking about the um, podcast.asknoahshow.com, not the not the traditional show notes, because what I what I add in here won't actually go into the uh, into the show doc. But this uh, Dell uh, Dell Inspiron 5675 is a Ryzen 7 system, 3.4 megahertz, 8 gigabytes of RAM, one terabyte hard drive, uh, and an uh, AMD Radeon RX 570 graphics card. So as uh, 700 bucks or 750 bucks. So that's you can if you if you like Dell and I agree with that decision by the way I agree with that thought process I think Dell makes a a, a, a really good computer and I think a lot of those like I buy I buy I I what it was it called I buy power PC or whatever those th- those companies yeah. tend to charge a, a pretty hefty fee for actually assembling the machine like you can you can just order the parts of, I just order the parts and put it together myself before I paid them to do it uh, but you know you do get a you know the warranty and, and by the way if there's anybody out there that's like well, if we, if you buy the uh, buy the machine though, you get a warranty. You get all no, you don't actually. A lot of times, we um we bought one for uh, I can't remember what the purpose was, but it was it was a good friend of mine. We bought uh, he bought a machine off a of Newegg. It shipped. We literally brought carried it up and plugged it in in his office, and within and, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Within like an hour, we hadn't even gotten the operating system installed, and within an hour, uh, the machine blew up. And uh, we opened it up and we were doing some like basic troubleshooting. Is it the power supplies? This and we eventually determined the motherboard was fine. The graphics card was fine. It was either the power supply or the CPU that had gone out. That very day, we filled out an RMA, shipped the machine back to Newegg. Newegg receives it and says, well, because you opened the machine, we are not going to RMA or fix it. And you must have done something to make it blow up like that. So that's that's why it blew up. No, 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 no. It blew up before we opened it up, number one. Number two, there are no tags or, or markings that we had. There's no evidence that we had opened it up. Uh, it, I mean, we did, but there was no evidence of that. And so they said, well, you must have modified it some way. And uh, and they wouldn't give the money back. And my friend had the integrity to to, to not put Because like I said, there was no evidence of it. So he could have just said, I didn't open it up. Uh, but But we did. And he had the integrity to just say, "Fine, go ahead and screw me out of six or seven hundred dollars." So I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of these companies that build uh, pre-built BCs unless they're an actual, you know, PC manufacturer like Dell, Lenovo, System76, those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, the, we, I just purchased. Actually, I got two of them. I've got the the, the uh, Dell XPS uh, with the i7-7700 um, and a cl- very close contender, mostly because it has this like kind of cool blue glowing thing is the Dell desktop Inspiron 5675, which we have a link in the show notes. So if, if you're even half considering that uh, blue, I think that'd be a great idea. Okay. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Send me that on telegram, man. I'll totally forget. Yeah. Website. Yeah, for sure. I tell you what I'll do blue. I will go ahead and post the, uh, I'll post a link to the show notes in the, uh, ask Noah telegram group and I'll pin it in there. So you can just click on the link and, and grab it there. Again, phone lines are open. one 855 Noah. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at ask Noah show.com. In, uh, in late 2005 tech visionary and MIT media lab founder, Nicholas, I'm going to screw this up. Negaponti pulled the cloth cover off of a small green computer with a bright yellow crank. The device was the first working prototype of Negoprant's new un- non-profit one laptop per child dubbed the green machine or simply the $100 laptop. And it was like nothing the audience, either his panel 
or the UN-sponsored tech summit in Tanais or around the globe had ever seen before. Uh, the article goes on to question what it really why did the OLPC not take off? So if you're not familiar with this, this company made a sub $100 laptop that were it was going to be available for children. Now I've had a chance to meet some of these people at conferences and various other places. And uh, these are really top-notch folks. They are doing some really cool things. They're they're they are flying to other countries. One of the things that we are talking about with these folks is they were saying that they wanted to provide computers for education in third world countries. And the problem that you have is you can't leave a server or a permanent machine installed because somebody will steal it because they don't have locks on the doors. And so they have unique challenges that we don't face here in the U.S. They need a computer that they can take, that the teacher can take home with her. That server has to be able to fit in her handbag. Oh, and by the way, she doesn't have a car. She walks. So it might be kind of nice if it's small and portable. Oh, and they don't have electricity all the time. So it's going to have to be battery powered or you have to power it with like a bicycle or a you know, solar panel or stuff like that. And these guys, they're, they're, they, are, they, are, they are figuring all of this stuff out. They are making it, uh, they are making it work for, for, these, for these people that, that don't have any other options. And I, I want to be a part of that. I think it's really cool. And I've actually bought one of these OLPC laptops for every one of my kids. So I have a unique perspective on this, on why it didn't work out, on on where they went wrong. The issue is, is well, let me start with what the issue isn't. The issue is not that they didn't make a good computer, that they didn't price it properly, that there wasn't enough features, there's not enough bang for the buck. None of that was the issue at all. The issue start and ends with the fact that as the price of hardware is coming down, more and more companies want to participate in that entry-level market. Because don't get me wrong, there is a group of people that will pay any amount of money to have a computer that just quote unquote works. And that's why Apple has a successful business model. But the truth of the matter is that there are a lot of people that they walk into Best Buy and they buy the cheapest thing that, that they can get that they can get the job done with. And a lot of them, whether they are correct or incorrect, believe anyway that the cheapest computer that is offered is good enough because even the cheap computer is so much better than they were 10 years ago and it's a brand new machine and uh, all I need to do is check my email and watch some YouTubes, so that should work. And as that audience grew and grew and grew and you have more and more customers that want to purchase those entry-level PCs, more and more companies participated in creating low-level PCs. Until you literally have companies like Microsoft that are subsidizing these $100 and $200 Windows computers. You have Google subsidizing the $100, $200 Chromebooks, which actually have a reasonable amount of power and storage in them. And what they lack in storage, they make up for in cloud storage. So if you're a company and you're trying to make these products work, yes, the OLPCs you know, probably did very well and served their purpose across seas. But here in the U.S. or you know, any place where you have a lot of money... There are just, quote unquote, better options to get the job done. And so most parents are buying their kids a Chromebook or something like that. Now, again, I have bought my kids. Uh, each one has had an OLPC. My youngest just is, is two. She just turned two a couple months ago. And uh, I would assume that she will wind up with an OLPC as well um, because there are some really nice design features. They have the rubberized keyboard, so spills and stuff don't affect it. And she can't pick off the keys and stuff like that. So I'm a big fan of OLPC 
And for her, just to be able to watch the movies, draw on the screen, stuff like that, I think that works really well. Things that I think they could improve on, if they had the ability to do like a uh, web conferencing, something like that, I think that would be really helpful. But we'll see what happens. As we uh, wind down this program, I want to head over to our Distro Elimination Challenge. Our Distro Elimination Challenge is where we are trying to build a review site for Linux distros. So every week we're asking you, which Linux distro would you use on the desktop? We give you two choices. You vote on those two choices. Now, it does not have to be the Linux distro you would actually use. It's not. I'm not asking you which is your favorite Linux distro out of all of them. I'm saying if you had your choice, if you were stuck on an island and here are your two choices of Linux distros, which one would you choose? Last week, we asked you that question. We gave you the two options of Linux Mint and TrueOS. Unsurprisingly, Linux Mint wins with 72% of the votes, TrueOS trailing in at 27% of the votes. This upcoming week, we have PC Linux OS and Xubuntu. So if you were stuck on an island, which of those two, which which of those two Linux distros would you use? Would you install PC Linux OS and be stuck on your island with PC Linux OS for the rest of eternity? And Xubuntu or Xubuntu. Which one of those two you choose? I know which one I'd choose. So you can vote. AskNoahShow.com slash elimination. Hey, while you're on the Ask Noah dashboard, would you do me a favor? Head over to AskNoahShow.com slash better and let us know how we can improve this show. We just made it to one year. We're very thankful. I was I was looking at uh, statistics earlier today before we went over to UND to do our presentation. And uh, thank you to everybody that downloads the show that comes. Th those of you that call in and participate live. Those of you that listen live. Those of you in our mumble room. We really appreciate you. But help us make the show better. If you can think of a way to do that, let us know at asknoahshow.com. I want to address one thing in the chat room real quick. Chat room is talking about uh, how do you load GPG keys onto the YubiKey. Now, if you're do using it for like email signing, if you're using it to encrypt files and stuff like that, um, that's definitely a route you want to go down. But if you're trying to log into servers, you can actually load an SSH key right on to the YubiKey and authenticate that way. Or the other way you can do it, the more quote-unquote elaborate way, but it does involve a cloud solution, is you can use what's called PAM authentication. And basically what PAM authentication does, your server asks Yubico's servers, is this person allowed to log in? And so the advantage to PAM authentication is that you can, without touching, you know, you can, you can void a single key in a central location and all of a sudden, all the servers that are looking at that PAM authentication site will now know to not let you authenticate. The other thing PAM can do that's really interesting is you can actually decrypt uh, a hard, well, not decrypt, but you can, you, can, you can decrypt a partition on a hard drive uh, that, has a, that has access to the internet. Of course, the issue is with PAM, PAM authentication, because it's a cloud-based service, you actually have to be able to get to the internet. So it would scare me to put that on my system. But that is something that you could do. So yeah, it will be, will be, the next couple of weeks are going to be a little hectic. We'd ask that you hang in with us. If you, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out the download that's going to come up. That's an episode we recorded earlier today, and I will try to get this episode out. Not sure if it's going to happen on Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. I know I will get it out sometime this week because of course we want to be ready um, for next week to get our, our, our ducks in a row. Obviously we're going to have a big, uh, a big week out in Seattle, hanging out with Chris doing some live shows, all of that kind of stuff. Hey guys, did you know that this show is available as a downloadable podcast? 
To subscribe to the feed or download the latest episode, visit podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll find not only the latest episode, but all of the articles and material referenced in this episode. You can get the latest, of course, by following us on Twitter at AskNoahShow. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Vox Texas for providing our phone systems, Ben, our producer, and Sarah, our call screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty of more content for you 24-7 over at AskNoahShow.com. <laughs>